Well, good evening. Today is traditionally marked out as the day of the crucifixion. However, doing a study on how Holy Week is outlined in Scripture, you would find that Wednesday or Thursday afternoon was likely the time of crucifixion. As we review that fateful event, that fateful event that happened 2,000 years ago, it's important to note that this would have been a time of confusion and mourning for those first century disciples. Thanks be to God that 2,000 years later, we are not looking to that crucifixion as a horrible moment, a devastating and confusing moment. Instead, we have come to mark it out as Good Friday, because we, the Christians, know the reality that came and comes from that event. The goal tonight is to give you good advice on Good Friday, or good advice to make it a Good Friday. The wisdom we learn tonight can and should be applied every day in every moment of our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how do I make it a Good Friday or a Good Day? I woke up this morning and I went to my spiritual disciplines and I began to outline the betrayal, death, and burial of Jesus Christ in Scripture. And I've given you all a handout that marks those verses out in the Gospels. Here at Blue Point Bible Church, we have been going through some of the details in Scripture, standing upon the shoulders of giants, the apostles and prophets in Scripture, regarding the Gospel, which is, as I have proposed, the one hope of the Scriptures, the hope of Israel, namely the hope of Israel fulfilled. Righteousness, presence, and power of God being seen in and through his people. First, as I mentioned, us Christians now traditionally call this day good. How and why do we dare call such a horrid moment of crucifixion of our Savior a good day? It begins with understanding the foreknowledge and foresight of God, and ultimately what Jesus Christ came to fulfill. What we are going to have to do first is develop a theological concept to understand what is happening in Scripture, and then we'll be able to arrive at an applicational concept of why we would call this day good 2,000 years removed from this historical event. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill. So right there, we know that Jesus came to fulfill Old Testament hopes. His life was lived intentionally. Nothing Jesus did was being done by accident or surprise or out of the norm. No, he had come to fulfill, and that old covenant, that old heaven and old earth would not pass away until he fulfilled every jot and tittle of that old covenant. All the details, all the prophecies, all the antitypes that needed to be fulfilled in Scripture. Again, we know that that old covenant story is a type, it's a parable. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, ultimately to point to the realities the Messiah would bring. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 64 through 68, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of that time, he tells them, you say this, you say this. And then he went on to tell them that they would see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. Because Jesus knew what was about to happen. The Jews were blinding themselves to the reality that was standing right there in front of them. John chapter 19, verses 8 through 11, Jesus speaking to Pontius Pilate, he tells him, I give up my life. Not that you take my life from me. This was not being done by accident. These are not things that you would say if you were looking at this situation or if Jesus was looking at this situation as an accident. And the key, the theological concept for us is to look at all things, especially this crucifixion and this event, through the lens of God, through the lens of Jesus Christ. So how would Jesus Christ have looked at such a situation? situation? And we see here Jesus in John chapter 19 says he gives up his life. Because ultimately, that's what he was sent to do. 
And then we know Jesus, when he was on the cross, he says, it is finished, and he gave up his breath. Surely not something that you would say if this was all a disaster or a crisis or a situation that was out of control. Jesus knew what he was doing. Very intentional. So what's good? Well, we know that this is all being done for a reason, that this moment glorified God. The Son of Man was glorified. As humans, we tend to look at the concept of death different than God. I'm convinced death is something that has been highlighted in creation to cause us to appreciate life. Yes, I do believe there has always been biological death. It's natural. It's not a curse. Death not only gives us the desire for life, it also leads to abundant life. Jesus referred to the time of his death as the time that the Son of Man would be glorified, ultimately highlighting the death that he had to undergo to bring about the greater reality. And I want to take us to a text that seems to highlight this. John chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 23. Wait for you to turn there. On page 1076 of the Pew Bible. Starting at verse 23 here. It says this. And Jesus answered them. He's talking to his disciples here saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about his crucifixion. So right there, that's one reason we know we call this day good, because that was the day that the Son of Man was glorified. He, that was the day that he came to fulfill his role as that sacrificial lamb for his church. Surely a good day. Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And if where I am going, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Hmm. Well, Jesus explains the concept of death using this seed analogy. Let's say this. Good is when God is glorified. Amen. Good is when eternal life is found. Amen? I like to say eternal life is eternally fulfilling and satisfying life. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 12 that in order to find eternally eternally fulfilling and satisfying life, we must die. And we know he is not talking about biological death. Jesus' death, his biological death, pointed to a greater death that plagued the saints. The death. The death that came by sin, that came by way of the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe it's verse 56. On the first Good Friday, Jesus had been in the tomb since Wednesday evening. His friends were devastated and hopeless because they forgot everything he had told them. They had witnessed his death. Nothing was more final. Their emotions had finally hit rock bottom, and there was no escaping this illusion of abandonment. The bad stuff seemed more real than Jesus' words. Does that sound familiar to us? Let's develop an applicational concept as we look at this theological concept of the glorified death of Jesus Christ, Good Friday, his sacrifice for our sins. The illusion of abandonment. The illusion of abandonment. Where is this going on in your life? Where have you clung to what you see, the, the natural perspective, Rather than the spiritual. 
like the disciples of Christ. I, I like that part where G, uh, Peter, when Jesus tells Peter that he is about to go be crucified in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns around and rebukes him because Peter is not looking at it through the God-ordained lens. Peter is looking at it through his natural perspective. We know that Good Friday was done 2,000 years ago to fulfill prophecy. The Messiah would come, would take the sins of the people upon himself and bring about a new reality. This also leads into our life as where we can continually find life through Jesus Christ, how we can follow the, and apply the details of Scripture in our own reality once we develop that theological concept. Again, we know many people are fault, uh, have faulty theological concepts, and therefore their application comes out wrong. However, hopefully you see tonight that I, I'm giving you the proper theological concept here of what Good Friday, what that crucifixion pointed to, and now we're going to see how this applies to us. How is Christ, how is God leading you to die to yourself in the situations that may be going on in your life so that you might truly live? Ask yourself that. Where are you clinging to the despair that is a sin? Where are you clinging to anxiety that is a sin? Where are you clinging to maybe a direction in life that God doesn't want you to go? Where do you believe God might have abandoned you? Because all of that is wrong. All of that is you looking at the le- through the world through the lens of the carnal. Not seeing Jesus glorified because you're not listening to his words. Not finding eternal life because you're not listening to his words. And unfortunately, 2,000 years removed, as we Christians look to an event that we know we're supposed to know, we're supposed to be the children of the light. We're supposed to know, we're supposed to have clarity and conviction in regards to what happened 2,000 years ago and what was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So now that we would have that wisdom, we're not supposed to be a people who have this illusion of abandonment. We're supposed to be a people that are so convicted upon the truth of Jesus Christ, not only the death, but the burial, the resurrection, and the, the ascension and the coming all being fulfilled to give us such a glorious reality that we might look at the world through these theological concepts that God has given us, a true spirituality. I have a tattoo on my arm. Whoa. (laughs) I have a tattoo on my arm that is a cross and a crown. And this morning when I woke up, I looked at that cross and that crown and I realized that's the reality right there. That's Good Friday exemplified. That the cross leads to the crowning. Through death is life. Let us look to that reality this evening. Let us consider all of what Jesus' crucifixion means theologically as well as what it means applicationally. As I close, I just want to share a couple other pieces of wisdom highlighted through the betrayal, death, and burial of Christ in Scripture that I found rather intriguing and I want to share with you all. The first one is going to take us to Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 54. We know this is speaking about the time of the crucifixion, the graves were opened and the saints went into the city. Well, what is the scene? Not going to get into all the ins and outs of the scene. However, what this scene is showing us is that the power of God was bringing forth resurrection. We know that that was not the resurrection because the Apostle Paul talks about the hope of resurrection in letters that are written way after that event of the crucifixion. Um, ultimately, Jesus spoke about the time of crucifixion that would come. Prophecy pointed to the resur- I mean, the resurrection that would come. Uh, prophecy pointed to the resurrection that would come. And we know that there was a lot of details that needed to be fulfilled. The Apostle Paul calls the resurrection of the dead the hope of Israel all throughout the book of Acts. And we know that, that those physical bodies coming out of the grave were a sign to that generation 
that the power of God was manifest, that they just killed God on the cross. That power of God was manifest. That energy of God was manifest, and these people came up out of their tombs to demonstrate something very natural, power of God, that had come into this physical world. That was not the resurrection of the dead. We're going to talk more about the resurrection of the dead on Easter Sunday, this coming Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, if we're being a bit more religious, and I'll share more of those details with you in regards to what resurrection is truly being highlighted in Scripture. What resurrection was being hoped for? How do we understand that theological concept and develop application in that day? Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 31, as Jesus is being walked with that cross up to, uh, to, the, you know, to his crucifixion site at Golgotha, he weeps for Jerusalem. He says, do not weep for me. Again, the words of a man that this isn't by accident. Do not weep for me. Weep for Jerusalem. Because he spoke of that judgment that was soon to come. Go ahead and read the text there in Luke chapter 20. It's very hard not to understand that applying to the events of the Roman Jewish War in A.D. 66 to A.D. 70. Jesus knew that this is the judgment that was coming about. This was all prophesied. They would kill him who was sent to them. They killed the prophets before him. And they would kill the Messiah to bring about a grander, greater, better, to borrow a word from the book of Hebrews, covenant, reality. In John chapter 18, verse 23, well, I want to just highlight what we should, uh, what application can we get from Luke chapter 23? The application we can get is we can look to the destruction of Jerusalem and know we are not going to cling to idols. We are not going to cling to the despair, the anxiety, the things, the illusion of abandonment, the things that lead us away from God. Because we see the destruction and devastation that comes upon those that do. Set your mind on the things that are above, the things that are edifying, the things that are peaceable, the things that lead to life to the full. And weep for Jerusalem, right? <laughs> weep for those that are outside of covenant with God. That the devastation is not going to be revealed. The devastation is evident. John chapter 18, verse 11 Jesus, when he's talking, to the, talking about his crucifixion, he says, Shall I not drink from the cup that the Father has given me? That's a good prayer for each and every one of us. What's the cup that the Father has given you? Jesus knew this was the concept of his death, to be glorified, to do everything that he, was came, to, he came to do, to look at the world through the God-ordained lens and knowing his, his calling. We know that Jesus had his moments of despair, right? Because he was tempted like us. However, he did not sin. He did not turn away from that conviction and clarity in regards to what he was supposed to do, the cup that he was called to drink. May we walk like that. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 26. This one is very important to me. This seems to illustrate the hope of Israel. Jesus, when he's on that cross, he looks down before he gives up the ghost, looks at his mother and he says, woman, here is your son. Looks at his disciple and says, this is your mother. Love. Love one another. This was the body of Christ being formed right there at the cross. His one body, the church, wherein he has chose to make known the manifold wisdom of God in and through. So, here we are, Good Friday. 2,000 years later, having clarity and conviction in regards to what happened on that fateful night of Christ's crucifixion. With the wisdom of God, taking theological concepts such as the crucifixion, and arriving at applicational concepts such as death to self, through the true and living word, every day can be a good day. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you that we have this 
moment to look to you, Lord, that we would look to you as high and lifted up, Lord, knowing that that was a sacrifice for sin, to lead us away from death. Your people would have life and righteousness and the power and presence of God found in and through them, Lord. We thank you for that. We magnify your holy name, Lord. We look to you as truly glorified and thank you for eternal life. And we pray that 2,000 years removed from that incident, we would not look to that with despair. We would not look at... um, you know, death, biological death with despair, Lord, but we would understand your purposes in our world, that we would look at everything through a God-ordained lens and find life. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for everything you have invited us into, that you have given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that we may call every day good, Lord, and rejoice in it. We magnify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray.